Well, the book of Jonah, story in which God brings an inerrant message to a wicked people by means of a very errant prophet. Eight words is what we've termed this series together, eight words. If I came to you this morning and had an eight-word sermon, perhaps this would be the greatest sermon you've ever heard me preach. You're not that lucky. But what we see with this message that Jonah brings is it brings revival to a wicked people. It changes their lives. And when we think of the prophetic books, as we have this time of overview this morning, we think of somebody like Jeremiah, who would give his life, God would call him to give his life to preaching the news of judgment and repentance. And yet the people would not listen or repent. His entire life of a very literal sermon illustration that he would go and take on and do things that were heart-wrenching for him, and yet the people would not listen. And, and now in contrast to that, we have the book of Jonah. An account in which perhaps lasting, we don't know the, the time, but this could have happened in just a couple of weeks period, a single month, and it brings forth massive revival to a people that were hardened against God and therein His Word. Eight words that we learn about God, we learn about who He is, we learn about what we're called to do, we have reflective components that we see in the life of Jonah. So in our time together, as we run through this book together, uh, would you pray with me, God, would you open my eyes and heart to what you have for me in your word? Would you craft me? Would you make me as sensitive, not as Israel in the times of Jeremiah, but make me sensitive as the pagan people of the Assyrians, the capital city of Nineveh, would you make my life as sensitive to your word as that? Would you lead me to grieve over sin and long for your glory in all of my life? Amen? All right, so let's dive in together as we note together eight words that reflect the Lord's righteous judgment. What are those eight words that we're talking about in Hebrew 5? And, uh, in Hebrew, not in Hebrews 5, but in Hebrew, five words, but in English, eight words. Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. From these words, as he summarizes Jonah's sermon from the message that God gives him in the first few verses, we see that these are eight words that reflect the Lord's righteous judgment. So summarizing verse 1 and 2, it begins this action from the very beginning, which is what happens with action. They start at the very beginning. It starts in verse 1. And God gives this message of who He is. As a matter of fact, let's look at verse 1 and 2. We'll preach on this later on, but, but I want you to look here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of Yahweh, the personal triune God, came to Jonah, the son of Amiti, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great and city, and call out against it. Why? Listen, for their evil has come up before me. If God is not righteous and holy and other and good, this makes no sense. If God Himself and His very nature is not the, the standard and reflection of what is good and what is evil, this book makes no sense. The first two words, the first two verses of Jonah challenge us with the question of what is good and what is evil. And the man and the woman that listens must say, Oh God, You determine these things. 
Not as some idea that goodness and evil are uh, the corruption of, of goodness, evil, missing the mark, sin is just something out there that God looks at and says, yeah, that. But the very, His very character in essence determines what is good and righteous. And His creation that He's sustained now for centuries, the Assyrians, have done so much evil that God decides to bring judgment upon them. And He tells them in 40 days, you're done. I want to have a question here at the very beginning. Would God be just and righteous if He chose to no longer sustain the Ninevites and the Assyrian people without sending a prophet to them? Would God still be good and righteous if He wiped them out without ever sending Jonah? The answer is yes. Because all that God does is good and righteous for His glory. He is the one that sustains us. All of us are, are dead in sin. And, and Nahum, later on, the prophet Nahum, you see the repentance that we see by the Ninevites. When we say the Ninevites, I want you to think synonymously the Assyrian people. In the same way, if we referred, for example, to, to Beijing, right, we would think of the whole of, of, of China. If, we, if somebody said D.C., what are they talking about? Not just D.C., but the whole of the United States. And, and since becoming a Texan and moving here, uh, I've discovered something interesting about you East Texans. Is I hear you refer to Austin like it's a bad word. And like in Missouri with Jeff City, it was like, yeah, it's Jeff City. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But here it's like Austin. But Austin, what's it? it represents the political machine of the state, of the republic. It represents a larger component. That's what Nineveh is to the Assyrians. It's the capital city. Who are the Ninevites? Who are these people that Jonah is so put off by that when God gives him the word to go to them and preach repentance, judgment's going to come on you in 40 days. Who is the people that makes him get up and go the complete opposite literal direction? Well, we know that the Assyrian people the capital city of Nineveh, launched an attack to, to, to take captive Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, as they would have already done damage and led off into captivity the northern kingdom. And 2 Kings tells us that they failed and the king went and retired in the capital city of Nineveh. That's who they are. And so as we listen to this book, we don't completely take it and say it's all about you, it's all about me, it's all about the person in our life, maybe that it's offended you or offended your family tree or a country or a people that made war against your people, your country. This gets to the heart of the matter of the reality that Jonah knows God. And because he knows God, he knows that God is gracious and compassionate. He knows that God is a righteous and good judge. And he wants for God to bring judgment upon the Assyrian people so bad. And because God is righteous, he knows that God will perfectly hold them accountable. And so when he gets the word from God to go to Nineveh, he is heartbroken. Because if God is bringing a message of repent for judgment is near, it means very possibly that they may be spared the righteous wrath of God that could justly be placed upon them if they do not receive the message. So, this book doesn't make any sense without a righteous God. And, and beloved, I would argue that life makes no sense without a righteous God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, 
How do you determine right and wrong? Is it a feeling in the air? Is it a cultural movement? What a tragedy to not know any certainty. I wrestle with this often when I meet with couples or I consider couples that don't know Christ. What is love? Is it something, if it's something you fall into and fall out of, what a scary thing to be committed to somebody. I could just fall in love with somebody else. And if their heart leads them there, then who are you to stop them? But love, this commitment based upon the very triune God, the one who's created marriage, the one who's created us and sustains us, He is righteous in all He does. The book of Jonah causes us to wrestle with the goodness and the righteousness of God. That He is the one that cuts the standard of our lives. Eight words that reflects the Lord's righteous judgment. In this book, as we walk through it, we'll see how Jesus refers to the Ninevites in some very interesting ways in the Gospel of Luke. But let's look secondly as we summarize verses 3 through chapter 3, verse 9. We see that these eight words, they reflect the Lord's sovereignty. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown Eight words that reflect the Lord's sovereignty. We, we saw in 2 Peter chapter 2. Remember when we looked at the example that Peter gave of Balaam and his donkey, and we talked through that account? The prophet of God was not obedient, but good news, his donkey was. Right? Here now we see with Jonah, the prophet of God is not obedient, but good news, his giant fish from the depths is obedient. Good news, the storm is obedient. When we come to the Gospels and we see this information about Jesus, His disciples marvel that even the storms listen to Him. We see here in this account of Jonah that even the storm listens and stops Jonah in his rebellion. So let's think geographically in present tense. Jonah is here in Joppa, and God tells him to go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians, about 500 miles northeast of where he is. And immediately, it says, he flees. He runs to get on a boat, and he goes 2,500 miles away to Tarshish. This is where he sets his heart on to go to. So in present context, that'd be like being in New York City, and you're, going to go to the, you're commanded to go to the capital of Maine, which is what? Of course you don't know. Who would know that? I looked it up, though. Augusta. So you go to the capital of Maine. You go to Augusta. And instead, right away, where do you go? I'm not going to Augusta. I'm getting on a plane, and I'm going to L.A. That's what Jonah does. Why does Jonah do that? Because he knows God. He knows he's righteous. He knows he's compassionate and merciful. He knows his loving kindness and faithfulness to his covenant promises. He knows that he could forgive those people when they hear the message. By grace, they could be spared and saved. But God's sovereign, and so he provides a storm that stops the sailors in their tracks. It even, it appears, leads these pagan sailors to salvation. God is sovereign and good. They make a sacrifice to the Lord. God so uses the whale to change the course of Jonah's rebellion and brings him not to Nineveh, but spits him up, vomits him up onto the shore. He would still have a several hundred mile journey to get there. But in our lives as believers, it causes us, as we think about the sovereignty of God, we can't really do it looking around, but it's easier to do looking at our past, isn't it? 
So when somebody becomes a member of Grace, they sit down with an elder of Grace Bible Church, and we listen to their testimony. We share our testimony with them as well, but we're listening to see, do they understand the goodness of the gospel? Do they they understand the news of who Jesus is and why He came and that we're dead in our sins and trespasses apart from grace through faith in, in the Son of God? Do they believe He rose from the dead? Do they give their lives to Him? Do they know Him? Their life before Christ, when they met Christ, and their life since Christ. As you listen to anyone's testimony, if you listen to the midweek podcast, you'll hear testimonies of our church members. I encourage you to listen to them. It's so encouraging. As you listen, you'll hear oftentimes a believer looks back at their life and recognizes the sovereignty of God. We've had church members that have shared about tragic car accidents and how God used them like a whale to change their hearts and affections, to slow down and consider the things of the Lord. We've had church members speak of losing loved ones or sickness that they dealt with that caused them to stop their whole priorities and instead set their hearts before the Lord. Never underestimate, believer, how the Lord works sovereignly in history and is working today in every way, in ways that we struggle to understand. I would argue from the book of Jonah that if we understand the sovereignty of God rightly, it will never lead us to slothfulness. It would never lead us to a position that just sits back and says, well, Lord, you'll take care of this somehow. But it would lead us with a great comfort and peace to to be obedient to what He calls us to do, to share the gospel, to forgive others, to reflect the grace that we've received in our lives and be merciful. To transform our lives in a way that knowing we're in the hand of God doesn't mean we'll be free from obstacles or hardships. We saw that in 1 Peter. If, if necessary, for a little while, you face trials. And so we can say as beloveds, all the trials that we experience are necessary for our sanctification. But we are responsible for the distress that comes in our lives from sin, are we not? And we'll never know on this side of heaven how much distress the Lord has prevented us from walking in by the whales of life that have stopped us from going further in rejection and rebellion. So Jonah is responsible for his rebellion. A matter of fact, and look over to chapter 2, verse 9. You're for sure going to want to have a Bible to follow along. Our elder Jerry Baker is going to read this letter for us at the end of this sermon. But in chapter 2, verse 9, I want to point out one thing. Look at the condition that Jonah is as he's writing this from the fish. It says that he is in distress. He says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What beautiful words. That he cries out in God in, in his distress. If Jonah would have obeyed, that's a new one. If, 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 uh, if Jonah would have obeyed the Lord, he could have, rather than lamenting this from the stomach of the whale out to God, perhaps he could have been in the vineyard, overlooking this great city that God chose to show compassion on, and he could have been worshiping side by side with them. Perhaps he could be on the boat that would have turned around by its own volition to go the way he would have gone, and he could have been worshiping with the sailors that were making a sacrifice from the boat while he was down in the depths. And so, beloved, we pray, God, would you give us sensitive hearts that long to respond intentionally, passionately, and quickly to your word. Amen? 
God's sovereignty should lead us to joy and peace to walk in His ways. We look at verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 2. We see that these eight words also reflect the Lord's gracious, merciful kindness and steadfast love. That's exactly what Jonah says. Jonah shows us the same merciful patience of God that 2 Peter spoke of. Here's a pop quiz. Let's see how we were good we were listening as we were going through 2 Peter. What did Peter tell the church to count the patience of God in bringing judgment? He said, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Count the patience of the Lord as kindness and salvation. Because the fact He hasn't come has given time for those who will believe to believe. So count the patience of the Lord as salvation. And the patience of the Lord in giving 40 days before He would bring judgment upon the Ninevites would lead to their salvation. The same truth, the same thread, but in Jonah, 800 years earlier. God's good. We see these threads of His kindness and His faithfulness. Now, this could be a little jarring. Why did Jonah run, as it describes, from the presence of God, the will of God? In Acts, we see it described as uh, believers, we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we see it being used of you're filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. It's not a, it's not like a, it's not a fuel gauge. He's not a fuel gauge. So you're not like 64% fuel of the, full of the Spirit. And then when you leave church, you're like, that was an average sermon, but I still feel better about it. So I'm like a 77%. No, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not how He works. He indwells the believer. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But to walk by the Spirit... To be filled by the Spirit is synonymous to say you're abiding in the way of the Lord. You're listening to the Spirit. You're obeying the Spirit who speaks according to His Word, who indwells you. Does that make sense? So when Jonah flees the presence of the Lord, he's very literally doing what? He's fleeing the commands of the Lord. He's fleeing the Word of the Lord, of how he's to live. He goes the complete opposite direction. And why does he do so? You've got to catch this. Why does he do so? Because he knows God's character. He runs as far as he possibly can to get away from the city God called him to go because he knows that God is actually gracious and merciful and according to his loving kindness. He does not want that for the Ninevites. He does not want that for the Ninevites. Eight words that reflect the Lord's gracious and merciful character. This causes us in our own lives to look at ourselves. God, would you, would you help us by knowing you to live consistently with the God that we know? I'll give you an example of this personally. I, I, I'm here every Sunday just about... And I preach, and we gather, and we sing, and I sing to a God that I don't doubt exists, a God I know exists. We sing to the God who's, who's the giver of life and hope and peace to all who will repent and trust in Him. A God who makes all things new, who brings sinners from death to life. I believe that is 100% true. Regardless of your sin past and what you've done or are doing, if you will repent and place your trust in Jesus Christ, you will receive eternal life. 
but I still get nervous talking to people. And they expect it from me because I'm a preacher. They don't know how to handle me. Usually when people find out what I do, they're like, oh, you seem normal though. That's weird. (laughs) But each of us, don't we gather and we sing praises to the God that we know exists, that we've given our life to, who saves us and forgiven us and given us life abundantly. And He's commissioned us to go and make disciples. And it's because we know that that we want and we pray for our family and our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and others who are literally far from God, spiritually or physically, we pray for them to come to Christ. The good news compels us. The character of God compels us to share about Him. So when I don't do that, am I doubting who God is? Or is a part of me wanting wrath for other people? The wrath that should have been placed on me was placed upon Jesus. The Lord, I'll sing for that. But what about, what about those people? This becomes, for the listener, a, a, a struggle. But something we pray, God, would you help me? Would you give me a boldness to speak about you with others and trust that you can bring somebody from death to life? So parent, don't stop praying and don't stop speaking about Jesus to your kids or to your grandkids. A faithful student, don't stop speaking and pointing people to Christ no matter how Jeremiah-ish the season becomes. You never know when the Lord will bring revival in life. Don't give up. And one very practical challenge I'm going to have, spoiler alert, in our next steps is would you commit to the Lord to say, God, I want to share the gospel with someone in these six weeks. Would you pray that God would give you courage to walk through the door? And if you don't see a door, kick one in and try it anyway. Now today, very practically, we're not going to kick doors. That's a weird metaphor. But we are going to go uh, around our neighborhoods. 3.30, we'll be done at 5. Be plenty of time to watch the Lady Jacks finish their victory over Georgia Tech today. But we're going to go and we're going to give invites. 60% of people probably won't answer the doors. That's okay. We're going to hand give them and then we're going to just pray with people. How can we pray for you? We're going to pray the gospel with them and just see the needs. And we trust that in God's sovereignty and His kindness and character, He's matching up the right places with the right people in the right time. So if you can't physically join us, would you commit to pray during that time, 3.30 to 5 o'clock, as we do go out from Henderson Hall today? Finally, as we look at the final verses, verse 3 through 11, we see eight words that reflect the struggle of the Lord's people to reflect His character. Eight words that reflect the struggle of the Lord's people to reflect His character. Jonah in 4.4, he cries out to God to take his life. A tragic, tragic statement. This is after he sees the Ninevites come to repentance. They tear their clothes in sackcloth. Why would they tear their clothes? They're reflecting their inward parts. So fasting reflects outwardly a desire inwardly. And ripping of the clothes was a sign of repentance of somebody. They, I mean, they had nice clothes. They were like, hey, let me go get my, my, my old shirt from high school on, then I'll rip that. They, they ripped their clothes as a sign of, of repentance and humility. And they were grieved at their sin and their judgment against a holy God who they believed His word was true. That's why when they heard 40 days, they could have been like Israel was so often and said, ah, your God's going to judge us. But they don't. They hear their message and they're pierced to the hearts. 
and their outwards reflect their inwards. They're repentant. Jonah sees this, and he says, God, would you just take my life? And what does God say? Do you do well to be angry? Like a parent that sees a child throwing a tantrum. He says, are you behaving logically right now? This reminds me of Job. You can write down the reference of Job chapter 38 through 41. If you've not read Job for some time, I encourage you to go back and read those three chapters. 38, 39, that's definitely more than three chapters. I'm doing the math now. Read 38 through 41, however many that ends up being. And as you read it, you see Job who earlier has experienced this heartache and he asked the Lord, he said, it would have been better if I didn't die or if I didn't, wasn't born. If I would have died when I was born, it would have been better than what this heartache that he's experiencing. It's a heavy book. Remember, his friends come to him and they, they do a great job by being with him and grieving with him, but then they start counseling him and it goes south quickly. God addresses Job with a hundred questions. Just about a hundred questions describing, hey, Joe, where were you when I set the stars in the heavens? And he just goes into this incredible boundary components of nature and how God designed and made and placed and sustains. And Job, about halfway through, is like, I get it, I get it. And God's like, no, you don't. And he keeps going with more questions, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of direct questions. And finally, listen to how Job responds in Job 42. And keep in mind, Jonah does not give, this, give us the same satisfying reaction. The book ends, as we'll see in a moment when Jerry reads it for us, with a, is there more? In Job 42, after those questions, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Job says, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job struggles to reflect the character of God, doesn't he? Jonah struggles to reflect the character of God, doesn't he? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus perfectly images God. The fullness of deity indwelt Him. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. Jesus is indeed the God-man. That's why we gather and we don't sing praises as we go through the book of Jonah and say, Lord, help me to be like Jonah. Let me rest in the works of Jonah. We say, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for we rest in you, Christ's righteousness on our accounts. And we sing praises knowing we're forgiven and adopted. But all through Scripture, we see the people of God struggle so often to show and reflect the kindness and the working of God. Israel, the nation, the people who have received by grace were born into a nation, they struggle to show grace. The wrath of God that could have been placed on them as they continually rebel. They struggle to show mercy to others. 
the commission that Israel's given to be a light to the nations, they struggle to show it. Can you relate to that? I can. The message that God desired to bring to the people of Nineveh. He is so good and so kind that He does it. Not only does God bring the message to the Ninevites, He brings it through the messenger He commissioned. There was a fish along the way, and He did it begrudgingly. But God would bring the news of His coming judgment and ultimately, by grace and the repentant salvation. That's how great our God is. And so if you are here this morning and you've got shame from your past, or you've been walking with the Lord sometime, you think you're ready to retire from doing ministry or being faithful with your time, talents, and treasures, listen, you're not. God has works for us to do, doesn't He, beloved? And God, who makes all things new, can bring life to the most hard-hearted, the most hopeless, and the most dark. The more that our country presents a message or proclaims a picture of darkness and hopelessness, the greater the opportunity the church has to shine forth the news of hope and life to all who will come to believe in Christ. A God who actually forgives your past. A God who knows you and desires to know you. Isn't He good? Eight words. As we come to our next steps, number one, question for you, do you know the gracious forgiveness of God in Christ, who like Jonah, spent three days in the earth before raising again? As we preach through this book, when we come to our Easter service, 10 o'clock outside, we're going to preach from what Jesus says as He references Jonah, actually on several occasions. We're going to preach from that text when Jesus alludes to this one who was literally swallowed and came up again. Jesus is better. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you never trusted Him, at the end of this service, we'll have ministry leaders up here that want to pray with you to receive Him as your King and walk with you into your next steps. Also, if you, of course, need prayer for any reason, we're here at the end of the service. Well, number two, is there a past hurt I've been resisting taking up to the Lord? Is there a hurt in your life, a, a prejudice in your life, perhaps, from a wound that you've been hesitant to deal with the Lord in? Well, I want to ask you through this series, would you ask God what He'd like you to do with it? Spoiler alert, right? You're not going to ask God and the Spirit's going to be like, you know what, why don't you hold on to that one for a little while longer? Why don't you suppress that a little more? I don't think so. But would you actually talk about it with the Lord? Would you be honest with some hurts that you have with the Lord? Whether like Jonah does, the fact that he showed grace or did something to somebody or worked in somebody's life, or something in your life that happened to you or you experienced, would you take that to the Lord? Number three, the attributes of God should build our competence and confidence to share about Jesus. So, so if you look in your bulletin, you'll see in this outline, you'll see the, the church's number, phone number. And you can text that number. But what we want to challenge us to do is if you're about to share the gospel with somebody or you've scheduled a meeting, you say, I want to meet with this person, do lunch together, or do coffee and I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the hope I have in Christ. Would you text us that number so we as your staff and elders can be praying for you? And if you have an opportunity to share the gospel and you're like, well, I totally forgot to text them, would you tell us about that afterwards so we can celebrate with you? You are spurring us on to love and good deeds. We want to share that with the church family. We want to be praying for you and 
encouraging each other in this way. And then finally, the final challenge is, would you read or listen to Jonah once a week through our series? Once a week. The good news is, this is getting started off together, so we know we've all read this book this week. So as you follow along in your pewback Bible before you, if you don't have a print Bible, that's page 774. It will not be on the screen behind me, so make sure that you're following along as uh, Elder Jerry Baker comes to read it for us before we respond in song. My name is Jerry Baker. I'm one of your elders. And if you would please uh, read along with me as I go through the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, for they could not, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, O Lord have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pressed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up, uh, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, 
and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pray regard to vain idols, forsake their, stead, their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord t- spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would come of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dark came upon the next day, dawn came upon the next day, excuse me, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you not do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for this book of Jonah. Thank you for what we've heard already from Brent, Father, and I pray as we continue to go through this book that you would guide his uh, messages to us, that we would be attentive to that word, and that you would help us to see the truth of that and apply it to our lives, Father. As we are approaching the Easter season, Father, I pray that you would help us to remember the great cost of our salvation, 
Help us keep in mind that even though we were your enemies, you sent your one and only son to be the sacrifice for our sin. And as Christopher says to Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And like Jonah, he remained in the tomb for three days. But on the third day, he rose again and conquered sin and death. And those who put their faith and trust in him can have the promise of salvation and eternal life. We thank you, Father, for that gift. We thank you, Father, for the, the day you've given and pray that you would be with us through this new week. Watch over us, protect us as we go forward from this place. We love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.